Hey, hello and welcome. It is show and tell time. Can you believe it? Here we are again already. Uh, we're going to show things and tell things. Uh, your things, your projects. What are you up to? We want to know. Everyone wants to see. What are you doing in there? Uh, come on over. Would you? We've got some, some good uh, showers and tellers from the Adafruit ranks. We also have Grace, who's going to be joining us from DigiKey again. We saw her a few weeks ago with a project. Uh, and uh, some other, we got Liz coming on here. I see a Scott getting ready back there. He's petting a cat right now. I can just tell you what's going on in the thumbnails. That's kind of fun and creepy, isn't it? Uh, and uh, and Anne is waving. I think Anne's doing this at us. She might be doing that at us. It's hard to tell. Uh, so if you want to get in on this action, and why wouldn't you, then head on over to the Discord the Adafruit Discord, that's at adafruit.it slash discord. And uh, you will find a link there. It's a StreamYard link. And we can take up to 10 people at a time. If you find that the, uh, the, the StreamYard interface yells at you and says that it's full, just hang tight because when people finish their, uh, their show and their tell, spend a couple minutes showing off their project. And then when they, when they leave, an opening will show up and you might just be able to get in right right then and there to join the fun and show us what you're working on. Uh, and oh, and I'm getting a little message that my audio is low. So I'm gonna boost that up and hopefully not peak it. Thank you very much. It's, uh, there we go. Uh, sounds better. Thank you, Brent. Okay, good. Thanks, C. Grover. So uh, also, if you just wanna chat, if you are interested in discussing what you're seeing or, or making puns or doing other things with uh, community members, then uh, I certainly recommend that you head on over to the Adafruit Discord. That's where the chat's at. Uh, and uh, let's see, someone asked, what's Lars up to today? In fact, Lars was recharging earlier. So he's just, he's just having a little sleep. I was plugging in power into his foot there. Lars is sleeping. Uh, all right, enough of that. That's my show and tell. That's Lars. So uh, next up, I'm going to bring, or first up, I'm going to bring on Grace. Grace Hill from DigiKey. Hello, Grace. How's Hello. Thanks for joining us. Um, thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, so, so what do you have today? You, you brought a project by. Tell us about it. Yeah, so I mean, personally, as someone who's had multiple concussions playing hockey, um, I mean, I was just thinking about it and how like you could make or use an accelerometer to see the force in which like your head um, or any part of your body experiences a force. So I ended up taking, take it out of here. I ended up making, it's really simple. Uh, just taking a Hassa 32 um, feather an ESP 32 and putting a temperature and motion wing on it. So I just kind of made a little cardboard box to put it in my helmet. And then when you plug it in, you just turn on the battery and then it connects to um, adafruit.io which gives you a live stream of what's going on. It might take a moment, but see, like, just kind of throw my helmet around. 
shake it around a little bit. And you just see the live uh, live forces coming through. So that is excellent. So you are connecting to your local uh, Wi-Fi hotspot with the ESP32, and then that's sending the data up to your Adafruit IO? Yep. Very cool. Uh, and if people want to learn more about this, is there a guide or a write-up on this anywhere? Yes, there is a write-up, and I can make sure I get that up on the uh, Discord. Excellent. And I, uh, what kind of Gs are you looking for when you're in the safe versus not safe zone? Do you know what uh, like is considered yeah. to be dangerous? So it can be as low as 30 Gs that you can get a concussion, uh, but it can be as low as 5 Gs to get a neck injury. Oh, wow. So, um, but it really, it's really all down to how you like the mechanics of your uh, collisions and stuff like that for ne the neck mm -hmm. when it comes to like the 5G, like whiplash or something mm -hmm. like that. So this might be an interesting project to use for studying something with like crash test dummies, that kind of thing uh, to, to yeah. see what, you know, if you're doing a stunt or a slamming mm -hmm. someone, body checking someone, what is what kind of Gs are you experiencing? Yeah, I personally threw it off my deck a few times. So uh -huh. that was and How fun. many Gs did you get from that? I imagine a lot. Yeah, I think it was like 18 to 22 at times. So right. it wasn't quite enough to like get a concussion, but it oh. was definitely, you would hurt yourself. <laughs> yes, yeah, the neck that's the problem in that case. Yeah, right. Well, 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 very cool. That's a practical project and a really interesting one. Thanks for coming on to show that. Very nicely thanks. done. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon with another cool project. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. All right. Uh, let's now bring up Trevor, who's been hanging out in the wings here. I like to give people a little preparation before we pop them on. And look, there's Trevor. Hey, Trevor. Hey, what's up? How you doing? I'm well, thank you. What's good, happening good. today? All right. So I've been working on, well, I've been learning SwiftUI for the past uh, week or so. And I've made a pedometer app. And I'll just show you how it looks right now. Here it is. So can you see that? I can. Awesome. Sweet. So this currently, this was how the pedometer app, app looked before. And this is how it looks now. After using Swift UI, it has like a whole animation going on. It's a pretty awesome app. Um, so I'm using this app to like, uh, you know, track my calories or, you know, my steps uh, while being in the house and also, you know, walking around the neighborhood and whatnot. What makes this uh, app pretty cool, I think, is that it posts to, well, it streams to Adafruit.io, and you can see that right here. Uh, and yeah, it, it's pretty cool. I love SwiftUI. Um, it's pretty easy to, to get into. Uh, and yeah, it, it didn't take me long to, you know, get a project up and running. And so what was the previous, you, you did this in SwiftUI, what would you previously been uh, doing to develop an app like this? Previously, I would use a Swift, uh, a Swift framework uh, UI kit, which is, it's it's okay. But you know, like, like you, getting this whole ring animation down, it would be a lot. It would mm -hmm. be a ton of work. Um, also, let's see, I have like a sensor thing here. If I move my oh. phone around, <laughs> it'll do a little cool animation. That's really cool. So this is a live, is that running on the phone and then it's also mirroring it to the desktop? Is that what you're showing? Yes, that's right. 
That's great. So, yeah. Do you have uh, recommendations for people who want to get started in uh, coding an app like this? Any? Yes, I do. There's a site that I've, that I've used. It's called design.code.io. That's amazing uh, for Swift UI and Swift uh, tutorials if you're trying to get into it. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. Amazing. Couldn't recommend it enough. And that say that say that URL again. It's it's uh um sorry. It's design slash code dot io. Great, excellent, good recommendation, and very nice looking app. Uh, thanks Thank for sharing that, Trevor. Thanks, man. And, uh, we'll see you again soon. Awesome. All right. Next up, we've got Aaron. Aaron St. Blaine hanging out right there. Hello, Aaron. How's it going? Hello. Um, hi. Uh, this week, I am showing off my completed LED ukulele. Um, really a lot of fun. I've been having just such a blast with this. Woo. Um, it's got uh, around 100 neopixels inside. It has a feather sense and a prop maker wing down here, and it's chargeable and everything from the outside, a little on-off switch. Um, but the fun stuff is just all the reactivity. So. Um, we have it set up so that with uh, using note sensing, I can actually plug a particular note and it will turn on sound reactive mode. So now the animations will react to my playing, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and then another note, if I play a different note, it will actually switch. Uh, let me turn off sound reactive mode here. Um, it'll actually switch between, there we go, animations. So I can play through different animations and um, using CircuitPython, I've got like a ton of animations and I, I cannot believe how easy it is to add new animations to this thing. It's just been really fun. Um, the, the, the third surprise inside of here is I, I did a Guitar Hero like rock star tilt animation <laughs> So for when you're a big rock and roll ending kind That's of period. <laughs> Very much fun. So I was having a blast with this, yeah. Uh, and I just launched the tutorial today, so please take a look for that on the Learn system. Um, somebody's asking how I got the NeoPixels inside. It was very much a uh, ship in a bottle type build. Um, I just drilled a hole right here and then put a long drill bit through and drilled one in the neck. And then you can kind of see how I just took a coat hanger and shoved the NeoPixels inside. I didn't have to take the whole thing apart, which was oh, that's really cool. which that's was really great. So. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's uh, the new um, CircuitPython libraries that Katni um, has done um, together with this other sense. They're just really fast. They're really responsive. And um, I've been waiting for a long time for CircuitPython to get to this level. And it's here now, you guys. So <laughs> it's all yes. built things. This yeah. is such a beautiful way to show that off. I'm a big fan, too, of the LED animation library. It's, I think, really a game changer for, for setting those types of projects up. Um, but I'm really, I'm so impressed with the ability to use a secret note as your interface. Like, that's yeah, so I, I quite like that, too. Um, and I, I think it would be possible to actually make a little, you know, make a riff that does specific things. I don't know. It, oh, it seems like there's a lot of possibility there, it seems like. Right, the forbidden riff. And you play, like, this, the beginning of Stairway, and all of a sudden, everything exactly. Exactly. Um, I think that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. And and this is running uh, on a feather sense. Is that the board you said? It's a feather sense with a prop maker wing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something else. That's a great project. I can't wait to look at the guide for that. It's so beautiful. Will, will you uh, play us a little bit before I, will. I have you go? Okay. Oh, I wrote a song. Let's see. 
Good. Uh, I wrote a song about about masks, so I'll play that. It's, it's a kid song because I'm a princess, and um, I subversively want to get all the kids like wearing masks so that they force their parents to do it too. So that's kind of the goal of this song. Wear a mask when you go outside, it'll keep you healthy, it'll keep you alive. Wear a mask when you go outside, I bet you're smiling underneath. In Atlantia, everybody wears a mask when they swim under the sea. King Triton decrees and the people all agree. Masks keep us healthy, safe from disease. Just remember to wear it while you swim in the sea. Wear a mask when you go outside. It'll keep you healthy, it'll keep you alive. Wear a mask when you go outside. Wear it or we're all gonna die. Anyway. <laughs> oh, that was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Really cool. See you next time. Okay, that was something else. That was really special. Uh, let's bring up next. We got Noah and Pedro hanging out down here. Hey guys. Wow, hey, Aaron, can we request an MP3 of that? That was so good. <laughs> well, it was, out. Yeah, wow. this is great. <laughs> it was so great. Yeah. Uh, um, man, let me uh, compose. Right. <laughs> right. I got to share a screen here. Click on the app window and uh, select the screen. Okay, so this week <laughs> we have a 3D printed SnapFit case. Um, we've been working on uh, a collab project with Liz, um, and this was going to be a solenoid-driven robot drummer thing. So I put this together a couple weeks ago, and I was like, this is great. I can print this in like 30 minutes, but it's got like 100 screws. So <laughs> although it takes 30 minutes to, you know, it takes longer to assemble it. So with the, the 3D printed SnapFit cases, Sure, they take a little bit longer, but you don't need any screws. Uh, so this is our little little case, and it's got all these um, these grills here across the top and the bottom um, pieces. And that's so that we can like mount it to other bits. So they're like M4 size. So if you wanted to put this like on an extrusion rail, uh, you can do that. You can use these little bits, and it just snaps off. Oh, cool. And then uh, inside here, we have a half size uh, Permaproto, and it's like sized to have the feather fitting on there, so you can have access to the USB port. And then I have like these notches on the side here for wiring to come out. I also have a spot here for the little uh, on-off toggle switch and the little DC jack here for 12 volts. Uh, so that's really nice. I got that uh, as a Darlington driver, so we can drive uh, 12 volt solenoids. So that's what's chilling out in there. And then there's a uh, 400 milliamp battery in between the little headers there. Nice. We also figured, hey, we should do one for the full size. Uh, so we made one for the full size, same kind of deal. Um, there's my feather. I don't have any chips here because I, I was able to fit everything on the half size, but it's basically the same case, just elongated. And uh, what I really like about it is like these tabs here that keep the PCB um, like secured so it won't fall out of the case, which is really nice. And no screws, so you just kind of flex the tab open a little bit. There's two of them here. So you just kind of flex that open, and all that's there is these three little standoffs. Um, there's about four millimeters of clearance on the bottom here, so you're able to uh, get like a bunch of cables and, and even more components underneath there, which is always a thing. Um, so yeah, we figured we'd make it um, all snap fit, all the pieces kind of fit. And um, I also worked on different little uh, bottoms with different tabs. So if folks want to have like different style tabs, um, we have those available too. So if you want to kind of strap this to something else, you can use this one. Or if you want to drill this into another surface, you can uh, you can use these little tabs here. 
Um, so that's kind of, we got all these little pieces here. Um, but yeah, we get to jump back into the harder stuff for the project. Whereas like, how do I get the, the thing to help the linkages to work? So that's my next thing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's really cool though. Uh, I love the design. I'm crazy about your colors that you've printed into. On yeah, the thank you. The yeah, the, the, the orange and the grays and the little bit darker grays. Um, you had to tend to work out really well with that blue yeah. background. Um, good. Yeah. And I actually have a question. I've wondered this, is there a point where putting things like those um, grill holes makes your print go faster or or at some point it's slower because it's doing like ovals and not straight lines? Like I, I kind of always been curious at what point it's better to have more holes. In a yeah, that is a real good point. Yeah, I think the more holes, the uh, I think it's going to be better. I should actually export it out without the holes, with the holes, and see what the difference is. Print, yeah. I tend to do I've those seen, things. I've seen some speed ups of like 10 to 20 minutes, yeah. just okay. depending on how the paths are Yeah, going. it depends on like how big the hole is, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. that's why I like doing these PCB mounts, because they really do. If you're, you're just printing the frame, it really does print in like 20 minutes, which is yeah. like, okay, this really does take an hour to print. Because <laughs> there's all the extra stuff like the snaps and the built-in yep. standoffs. Mm -hmm. So yeah. although, yeah, it takes an hour to print. If you hand me that over there, you which can, one? Like, just off oh, the, oh, oh, oh. yeah, just really quickly. Yeah. I think just adding like holes in here. I think it chopped off like maybe thirty minutes half of this. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the holes aren't even that big. They're just, yeah, they're just more little. of them. Yeah, yeah so, so definitely helped out. Wherever you can, it's kind of funny because like with CNC, you 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 want to do the opposite. Yeah. You want to leave material <laughs> with this. You want to take same out milling stuff, or if you're laser cutting stuff, it's like it's a different. lot of early laser cut designs. Everyone was putting like all these air holes and things, and then they mm -hmm. went, "Oh wow!" It like finished cutting the outline in 30 seconds, and then I spent 25 minutes watching yeah. dumb little rectangles get chopped out of yeah. my acrylic or whatever it is. No, that's <laughs> a good point. Yeah. Yeah, so that's this week's uh, this week's stuff. Mm -hmm. Love it! Thank you so much for uh, for making this yeah. and for sharing it. Thanks for hosting. You're you're a really fun host. Oh. I feel energized. <laughs> well, you know what I'm gonna do for symmetry and synergy? I'm gonna bring on Liz to talk about stuff since you mentioned the collaboration. <laughs> so she's next. Thanks, guys, and we'll see Thanks. you soon. All right. Hey, Liz. Hello. Oh, I'm battling with the, the oh. brothers on, on removing that screen. We got it. It's gone. Hello. How's it going? <laughs> Good. How are you? Um, Thank you. So I just shared my screen. Um, I've got uh, two uh, projects I'm working on. Um, so one is kind of a work in progress. It's a breadboard one. Uh, actually, another project with the Rios brothers uh, where we're going to be doing this kind of NeoPixel game. It's in demo mode right now, but basically what's going to happen is once it gets out of the rainbow swirl, you'll see it. Uh, there's going to be these randomly placed green NeoPixels, and you'll have this moving red NeoPixel, and you'll press a button to try to hit that pixel. Um, and when it does, it lights up green, and then it gets progressively faster. Um, and then once you win, after it goes too fast, you get a nice rainbow effect. So that'll be coming soon. Uh, and Very then cool. uh, I've also got a, a Pi Portal project that I'm working on that's kind of like a... Elgato Stream Deck copycat. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've got a bunch of apps. Um, I don't think last week I had any of the menus set up, um, but if I lean over real quick, I'll press the emoji button and then we'll see a bunch of emojis come up. Uh, so working on the graphics right now um, and hopefully be adding in the HID stuff soon. Um, I do have one fun circuit Python display IO thing I discovered because mm. we're putting, um, putting like the buttons on top of all these bitmaps. And so at first I was doing individual button sheets for every single graphic, which was eating a lot of memory. So I realized I could actually just have one button sheet and then I can, you can take away graphic elements from a group and then add them. So basically every time 
I'm changing screens. I am what I would leave the screen. I'm taking that button group away and then adding it back to the home group. So by doing that, it's kind of a little trick so that you can kind of limit your your code lines, but still have all the functionality. Uh, that's interesting. That and is that <laughs> also loading them all at the beginning so you don't get a slower load later? Does that put um, them into memory? So, uh, right now I'm doing the load from uh, from on disk bitmap, which um, takes up a little bit less memory. I'm going to try to be able to do it the image load because that's a little smoother and that does get it into memory. So I think if I just have that one button sheet, it might be possible. Um, but yeah, fun memory shenanigans. That's neat. Yeah, that's a really nice way to do that sort of thing because I definitely run into the problem of um, I'm, I'm using a sort of generic MIDI controller for my video editor right now. And I couldn't for the life of me this morning remember which buttons I had assigned for in and out, setting in and out points versus oh, like yeah. and cutting. So I had to go to a text editor and just hit all four of them to remind myself because I don't really have a, I don't have any yeah. icons and I haven't put any tape on there to write it down yet. So oh. I love that you've got... Uh, the, the is this the Pi Portal uh, regular size Pi Portal? Or the, this is actually the, the Titano. Titano. Uh, so Titano, it's uh, yeah. forty by 20, 320. Um, but yes, and descriptive. Yes, and uh, once I release it, I'll release all the icon things too. If people want to mix Excellent. with those, yeah. Really fun. Thanks. That's great. Well, thank you for coming on with those projects. Fun to see the progress on them, and neat game. I look forward to trying that. Thank you. Thank you for hosting. Sure thing. We'll see you. <laughs> See you. Bye. Cool stuff. Uh, a slight aside, does anyone remember that crazy mechanical keyboard that had a screen in every key? Art Lebedev Studios. It came like it it was almost vaporware. I think it came out like 10 years ago and was a thousand something dollars. And I think it turned out to be a terrible keyboard, but it had like one screen per key. It's bonkers. Uh, all right. Well, that's not a that's not a segue at all. I'm just going to bring Ann on. Hey, Ann. Um, no, I don't have a keyboard, but okay. uh, I do have a Pi Portal too. Uh, uh, I've been chosen as uh, the the uh, person organizing Circuit Python Day 2000. So this year, uh, September 9th. 9-9-2020 has been designated as the most snaky day of 2020. Um, do not fly on that day. There will be snakes. But there will be a lot of happenings in the Circuit Python world. Now, I just went through that date really quickly, and you're trying to remember how to remember that date. Yeah, now going to Adafruit.com. So you grab your Adafruit Adabox 11 or, uh, or your parts, and you uh, build a countdown timer based on your previous projects. And uh, it goes, it uses the Pi Portal's uh, um, Wi-Fi to um, go to Adafruit.io and pick up the, uh, the date um, and time for your particular time zone. And uh, it just displays the number of days, hours, and minutes to CircuitPython Day. And when it gets down to zero, you will have a nice splash screen for uh, CircuitPython Day. That's terrific. Very, very cool. And what? so what kind of activities and things are planned for, for that date that I can't remember because I have to build a device to tell me? Well, um, we're still working on things. We have, uh, oh, 48 days left. Oh, um, plenty of time. We're going to have, a, uh, I believe, a live stream with a whole bunch of people, the CircuitPython team, 
film no more, uh, special guest. Um, we're going to have things uh, rolling up to the date. Um, it's we're going to really uh, try to make it as special as last year, maybe, maybe more. We'll see how we get to do. So uh, wonderful. Um, there's a if you want to build this, um, you can go to learn.adafruit.com. There's a, uh, a nice tutorial and all the code and stuff are there. You can just drag it over and it should uh, run as long as you've got your Wi-Fi access point uh, coded into the secrets.py file. Um, right. If you want to know about more about CircuitPython Day, um, keep an eye out on Adafruit.com, the blogs, the uh, CircuitPython, uh, the Python on Hardware newsletter, um, all of the socials that we have, we will be uh, letting people know. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Very cool and a nice way to remember it. Thanks a lot. All right. We'll see you next time. Uh, okay. Waiting next patiently, it's... Brent Rubel. Hey, Brent. Hi, JP. I realized that Lars probably lives there earlier. I, my eyes uh, went immediately to the John Malkovich room. What? Yeah, hopefully it's not the Lars in there. Um, so this past week, I've been working on a web app, which is really unusual for me. And it's like a different set of skills. But there's a lot of Adafruit.io projects earlier. And sometimes you hit a roadblock where you're working on something and you can't use Adafruit.io and you need to roll your own like IoT solution or your own MQTT server. So I'll share my screen real quick. Screen yard. Nope. So this is something I'm working on. It uses uh, a barebone MQTT broker that's called AEDES. And then AEDES. Uh, is like a Node.js package and you can import it. And I've never used Node.js before, but it's really simple. And so in the back ends, we have this MQTT broker running. So similar to what we have on Adafruit.io. And then on the front end, I'm using Express, which is a web framework to display the HTML template. And then it also loads in uh, the back end script. So the reason why I'm writing this is I'm experimenting with uh, protocol buffers, which is like the way that we typically send data right now, like one of the hotter IoT methods is using JSON, which is like how you serialize data like and uh, calendar project before. But, whoa, Siri turned on. Um, but protocol buffers are smaller and when buffers are smaller and you send them over like IoT projects, they take less time to transmit and then they use less power. So it's really good to get these payloads really small. Mm -hmm. And if you're sending a lot of data, you really want to compress it. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a script on the back end to receive this buffer from my Arduino. And then on the Arduino, it also knows what buffer it's sending it. So it's going to send over an MQTT topic to my local uh, server and should work. We'll see if the demo gods are with us tonight. So it should turn on the device. It should, this refreshes every three seconds because I'm not good at web development. Um, and it pops up and it shows that we're connected to a Pi portal that's online and it enumerates what pins are available. So this is the start of a different project I'm working on. But I was able to throw this together in like three days and using these two things together 
is really powerful. You can do persistence in AEDS and you can keep your data, like logging it to a server like Adafruit.io, or you could log it to your own server. And then you can have your own front end that you can build uh, using Express. So this is what I've been working on. Oh, that's great. Good. Well, thank you for bringing it on and sharing it with us. And I'm sure we're all going to benefit from your uh, newfound skills with this. So keep us uh, posted as you keep working on this. Totally. Awesome. Thank you, Brent. All right. Next up, we got Scott. Hello, Scott. Hello. How's um, things? Good. I was originally just going to do the fact that I have a new camera. Ooh, let me uh, well, it's actually an old camera, but I got a thing to like capture it. So hopefully that is a bit better than my normal setup. I know it's not quite the right ratio, um, but I, I'm pretty happy with it anyway. It should be better than my C920, hopefully. Stylish. Stylishly framed actually. <laughs> I know I like, but on my stream, I'll just like put the chat over the black part and sure, yeah, slide yourself over. And um, but I, to do that, I am actually on a different computer. I used to be on a MacBook pro and people have heard me on my stream complaining that it like spins up and like gets really hot, especially cause it's been hot here in the summer. Um, so I had like a, my gaming PC that I also have Linux on and I'm, I'm swapping over to that. Mm -hmm. So I managed to figure out how to get this coming in which is great. And um, it's actually kind of reliable. I think I'm, I'm having, ending up having to like plug and unplug it a lot. So we'll see mm -hmm. how that goes. And are you going, uh, is it an HDMI to USB type of conversion or is it a USB camera to begin with? Yeah, it's a Magewell. Okay. So the, the actual camera is like a, a RX100 Mark III, which is like the first gen that like actually put out HDMI uh, at all. So it's, it's kind a, of an old like camera, but of some kind or a mirrorless. It's a it's a point and shoot actually. Okay. It's like a high end point and shoot from like a decade ago. Uh -huh. Like it's 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 not new, but I like looked right. it up and I was like, I don't use this very much, and I'd love to have a better camera. And what I didn't realize until I actually set it up is that it's also got a screen, so now I can like look at the camera mm -hmm. at the camera better, but still see myself rather than like going between my monitor like right. I'm looking at you. Right, right. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about this setup. Um, I've got to get all my OBS stuff squared away for for Friday, um, but this is a good test. And yeah, um, I was trying to let's let's one thing it does I think pretty well is focus. And uh, kind of said jinxed it. It's definitely too reflective for it. But I was I was testing it with this that it's pretty good at like picking out what to focus on, um, which I'm kind of excited about. Yeah, too. that's good. That's a big, that's a really big help. Is it a Sony? What kind of camera? Yeah, it's a Sony. Sony, Sony uh, I, the two that I use in my workshop are, are two Sony like uh, mirrorless type of uh, uh, cameras and they both have really terrific autofocus, which, mm -hmm. you know, much of, much of my photographing it's things and videoing things I life, know. I didn't care about autofocus until I, until I started to have it do it like all by myself and didn't want to try to manually focus things because there's no one to do it. So right, right, right. Sony does a really nice job with various kinds of autofocus. Yeah. Yeah. So I was also trying, I, I have this Pi Portal project that is blurry unless, oh, that's kind of better. Um, I have this Pi, Pi Portal project that Lamore challenged me to let me hide my face so it can't see me. 
um, PyPortal project, but uh, it's like using a JSON file that's basically too big for the existing stuff. And because I've been optimizing that, um, she said, hey, take a crack at this uh, JSON source. And so I've been doing that. And I just added a thing to try to start <laughs> optimizing away some of the PyPortal, like the PyPortal libraries, memory use stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, I don't have a build on there that actually has the memory monitor in it yet. Um, but Dan just did merge it. So if people are interested in doing some low-level memory debugging, those tools are in there. The one thing that I forgot for this build is actually that you do have to turn it on. So you should be able to, you, you do have to build CircuitPython to get access mm -hmm. to it. Enable it and then build. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think that's good because it, it's, it really is meant as a low-level tool. Um, but if people find it useful and, and want access to it, maybe we'll mm -hmm. turn it on uh, by default. Good. Great. And uh, people can come and watch uh, Friday your live mm -hmm. stream. See you on your new clear camera with the. Hopefully. <laughs> I've got I've got more. Yeah, hopefully it looks better. Sophie says it looks better. And uh, hopefully I can like I've got to move all my OBS settings and stuff, but it looks OBS on Linux actually looks better than Mac. Um, so that's exciting. Like it already takes all your desktop audio in, which is really cool. Uh -huh. On Mac, we have to like install this random plugin that does it. Um, so that looked good. And uh, Scott Hanselman, I think, just had the OBS found like creator of OBS on. So if people like OBS and want to hear about the history of it, uh -huh. um, check out Hansel Minutes, I think is what it was on. Ah, excellent. Um, and he talks about Mac is the hardest <laughs> <laughs> for them to support. Terrific. Cool. Thanks. We'll see you on Friday then. Yeah, Friday to Pacific. All right. Uh, next up, by the way, our friend Sophie Kravitz is trying to get in, and I just sent a link out to everywhere, I think. So hopefully you see that, Sophie. I, I thought we had an email to you. My apologies. So hopefully we'll get, we'll get a Sophie to join us. Uh, next up, we've got the sedacious one himself, Brian. Hey, how's it going? Well, how are you? I am good. So this past week, I wrapped up work on the AS7341. It's a multi-spectral light sensor from AMS, makers of fine spectral light sensing devices. Um, and so I wanted a good way to show it off. And I know we've been working with um, LED matrices, matrices, whatever, um, recently. So I figured, OK, this thing can put out measurements of several channels of color. These things can display several channels of color. Let's you know make them do something together. So um, I will switch to my camera, and you can see what I came up with. There we go. OK, so uh, down here, you can see is the AS7341. It's the light sensor. Um, Probably you don't need to see the details because I'll have to readjust my camera and that's just a pain in the butt. So um, here we have all the different um, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There should be one more. Anyways, math problem. Um, these are the different channels minus one of uh, light that the sensor can measure. And so um, as fast as it can, it's um, going through and measuring uh, it has to measure them six at a time, so it has to swap back and forth between which ones it's measuring. Um, but these are the current; these are bar graphs of the current measurements 
uh, scale to fit on the screen using the progress bar library. Um, and so this is just whatever I get from the white light that is uh, in my room. Uh, but then I have a Circuit Playground Express that I have uh, written a little program to to shine different colors of lights. Uh, so um, that's white currently. Let's not reset our Circuit Playgrounds. Okay, so here is what it thinks red looks like. Um, here's some green. Ooh, it's very green. Uh, the um, I was messing with the code while I was waiting, and so it doesn't use the whole bar graph because I so uh, colors more colors. Uh, here's a blue. This one definitely is very blue. Uh, this one. This is a. I think this is a mixed color, so it's got some yellow and some reds in it. Um, the most interesting thing that I found when working on this is that even if you have full red, full green, or full blue, um, it's not, that's not all there is. There's always something else. So here, when you have the red, it's still got some of the other colors. I mean, some of this is going to be from the uh, overhead lights, but uh, I think which one, green, green's pretty green. Yeah, it's got some blue in there. Um, uh, so yeah, that's my demo. Uh, it's a little LE matrix thing. Once I get it tuned up a little bit, I'll be adding it to the repo as an example. Very cool demo. I like the way, yeah, I like the way you're using that to show uh, it, it, it's it's almost like a fractal thing. You're using the LEDs to show the color of the other LEDs through the yeah. sensor. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I did think about like making a, like a mirror or just a white piece of paper here and like turning them all on full blast to see what could happen. But uh, <laughs> my brain would probably pop in the process. We just hear a little. Yeah. Yeah, all exactly. Of us are gone. Uh, that's really neat. Very cool. Nicely done. And and the different channels that it's measuring are just some different um, wavelength uh, sort of breakpoints that it has in in how mm -hmm. the sensor or the yeah. So exactly. Yeah. So um, turns out humans don't uh, we can't process every single possible color of light, um, and there's actually only a couple of very relatively narrow bands of uh, uh, EM wavelengths that we can detect. So red, green, and blue are what we call them. Um, and so this thing can actually sense outside of human perception, which is um, pretty cool. It's I didn't display it um, because it's kind of hard to demo, but it's also got uh, near-infrared and um, I think one other channel. Um, so what this does is it, it takes you know, the visible-ish spectrum of light and um, has sensors that are tuned to measure um, different frequencies within that. So they have a center frequency where they're most sensitive and then they taper off in a nice little um, graphy graph uh, mm -hmm. to frequencies on the other side. And so um, the bands don't completely overlap, but I'm sure you could probably do some math to figure out interpolations between the different mm -hmm. frequencies and stuff. Mm -hmm. Interesting, and I guess you could probably also use it with like a, a, a sort of very pure white light source and then measure different filters, like different photo filters, colored filters to see what they're. Absolutely, are. yeah, yeah, if you want to. Uh, and there's these types of sensors go in fancy devices that they sell to artists to make sure their screens are properly calibrated yeah. and stuff like that. I, going through the documentation for this, you, you know, the, 
me, I am not the target market by any means. There's like, there's, yeah, people that make cameras and want to make sure they're all good. And it's pretty, pretty yeah. interesting. There's all yeah, kinds I used of to, I worked in visual effects and animation for many years. And in the early days, we had super big, well-behaved, they would call them CRTs for color stuff. And the CRTs were more accurate for a long time. Uh, and there would be a schedule, depending on what function the artist or art director served on how regularly an IT person came through with this like suction cup camera thingy that, you know, face huggered yep. onto the front of it. And then it went through like this whole batch of calibration things, sometimes every week, depending on the, the person yeah. and the, and the uh, color critical nature of what they were doing. It's pretty interesting. Like, I'm sure we've all had a thing where we like, we look at something, our monitor and, oh yeah, that picture looks great. And you get it printed out and it's like completely different or whatever. So it's, it's a whole uh, thing. It's a whole thing for sure. But now you've got the sensor and that's on a little breakout board that is out or coming soon. It is on its way. I believe it was just sent off to the fab. So um, a couple of days we'll get boards back and then, you know, about a week or so after that, they'll be in the start. And uh, just for the people in the chat, what is the name of the sensor or the, the name that we're putting on the board that they can look for? Sure. It is the AS7341 by AMS. So AS7341 is what it's called. Um, I'll post links to the data sheet and uh, some other stuff in the chat. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. Very cool demo. Thanks for sharing that. It makes it all much oh, more gettable. One last thing. If you look yes. at the CircuitPython on hardware newsletter for the past two weeks or so, I've been posting about it. So there's some Great. more. On the development of it and mm -hmm. work. Yep. Super. Good. Yep. Go check that out too, people. All right. Thanks, Brian. Bye. See you all right. And now next up, we've got Dan Delaney. Hi, Dan. Hi, how are you? I'm well. How's things going? Good. Uh, so my project this week is a little bit of an ugly hack in a cardboard box. So I'm actually going to share my screen uh, so I can show some video here. All right. Let's see. Oh, it's not letting me. There we go. Share. And then I'll go over to my video here. So as you might be able to tell, I've been working on some time-lapse photography. Oh, um, and so this is a shot from my garden from a couple nights back of some flowers blooming. Um, so I've been really excited about the uh, new Raspberry Pi uh, high quality camera that just came out. Um, so I've used the, the older camera before and been kind of disappointed by the quality. And so I've, I've been really excited to try out the new module. So I got I actually built two of these cameras so that I can always have one running and, and one that I'm working on. Uh Oh, I better switch Ooh. back. <laughs> they don't go to fractal land. So this is the, the uh, basically the the project here so uh, it's a right now it's a cardboard box and in the front i've got the uh high quality camera there and uh, the lens and just a hole cut in it and then in the back i have a, a little raspberry pi zero in a, in a case and then the way that i power it is i just put a, a strip of velcro tape on the top and then i can swap these usb battery packs on with velcro really easily um so but yeah very low tech solutions because I've been uh, a little too busy taking pictures rather than building an enclosure for it. But, but I do have <laughs> plans to, to build an actual enclosure for it, but it's worked surprisingly well. And then, and then I have a tripod mount on the bottom that I can oh, screw okay. it onto my, to my tripod that actually comes with built onto the high quality camera, which is great. And then I've got one of these, which is a little led panel called a LumiCube that, uh, that I put out there in the garden at night, because that's a lot oh. of times where some of the best, uh, blooms happen. Let me skip oh, that's over to interesting. It. Yeah, so these flowers in particular are called cannas, and they they kind of show by the end of the day which which one is going to bloom that night. And so I'll put the camera on that, and then overnight you get a really really nice bloom like this. Oh, it's um, spectacular! 
Yeah, so it's been a really fun project and, uh, and I actually repurposed the cameras to, to be used for shooting um, Comet Neowise this past weekend as well. So, and got some decent results. I haven't compiled those into a video yet, but, um, but I'm really impressed by the quality of these cameras. Um, and then I was gonna show real quick a couple tools that I use here um, mm -hmm. to actually make it usable. Um, so software-wise, it's very simple. I'm just running a cron, uh, cron job to, to call a capture script. But one thing that's important with these cameras is you have to be able to focus it manually because these mm -hmm. lenses, it, the lenses are manual focus. So I use this software called Raz, uh, uh, RPi Web RTC Streamer. Um, so this is a, uh, uses WebRTC as a low latency streaming technology. So this is a live view from my garden right now from the other, from the other one of these cameras that I have. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is so I can uh, go on my phone and pull up this live view and use the live view and I can even click to zoom in and you can see you know um, use that to get a really sharp tight focus on on whatever it is that you're shooting. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been super really super valuable. Impressively low latency. Uh, yeah, yeah. The WebRTC is is very low latency and very huh. high quality compared to some of the other streaming technologies. So that's just on my local network. And then uh, I also am running a little web server so that I can kind of always be looking at the latest high quality version of the picture. Mm -hmm. So this is like the full full resolution that was taken mm -hmm. at, uh, just one minute ago. Um, what so is these the are what full I resolution on that camera, by the way. I'm ooh, the yeah, that's a good yeah. question. Uh, I forget exactly. Okay. Uh, it's four four thousand by three thousand, basically. Okay. So big, yeah, nice and big. very big. That's, yeah, that's exactly. Great. So which which means that if I have a wider shot, I can actually zoom it in, you know, and, and mm -hmm. it's still get 1080p of a smaller cropped yeah. area. So. That's yeah, very, terrific. very really impressed wonderful. with the quality of this. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm really excited to shoot some more. And yeah, I already asked, really... asked my neighbor for permission to uh, plant my tripod in her rose garden for a few nights. So that's up next. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's so much. Uh, this is really inspiring. It's it's a beautiful use of that that camera, and it's a great uh, case for why you'd want an open source hardware camera because totally. all of this was your you know you're able to to weave this together to do exactly the thing you want. Uh, yeah, all really kinds of new possibilities. It. Like uh, my dream is the biggest problem is the stocks wave around in the wind, right? So I'd love to have some write some scripts to take photos in bursts and then throw out the ones with the most movement. So mm. they can get the least, you know, there, there's all sorts of cool computational photography things you yeah. can do with, with scripting and stuff. So. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's a really interesting idea. One more. Oh, here's one more software tool yeah. is a RPI, uh, RPI ad hoc Wi-Fi. So this is what I use. We went up into the mountains uh, to, to see the comet. You're at a Wi-Fi range. And so this is a really nice tool that lets you switch back and forth between using regular Wi-Fi versus having your Raspberry Pi be a Wi-Fi hotspot that you can connect to up in the mountains. So that way you can still uh, nice. SSH to your Pi when yeah. you're out in the field somewhere. Really great. I This is uh, this is good stuff to know. I was doing a bunch of different Raspberry Pi camera stuff over the last week and uh, the notion of just SSHing directly into the thing instead of dealing with your own Wi-Fi is right. one that hadn't occurred to me and kind of a nice idea. Yeah, yeah, no, it's nice when you're out somewhere without connection, so. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. That was really inspiring. And uh, and I'm looking forward to playing more with the high quality camera because those results are terrific. Yeah, me too. Me too. Thanks, John. Thanks, Dan. Keep us informed. Will do. All right. Sophie has joined us, our good friend. Sophie, hey. Hi. Nice to see you. I'm trying to pull something up to show you guys. 
Okay, sorry I surprised you there. I don't know if you knew yeah. you, were, you were coming next, but I was so excited to, to hear that you were coming on the show tonight. Oh, thanks. It's nice, it's nice to see you as well. Do I have an echo? Um, I'm not hearing a bad one, so. Okay, that's, that's good. So um, I came on the show. I just wanted to tell you all about a new initiative from Hackaday and called Hackaday U. And we're building it as an alternative grad school for hardware hackers and engineers. And we just closed a software class, reverse engineering with Hydra, and KiCad and FreeCAD is still running for another week. Classes are free or pay as you wish. So we raised enough money to donate to a food, food bank for this past session, but you can take classes for free. And in the fall, we're working on a series of classes, but the teaser is that we're definitely having a deep dive into protocols, I squared C, OneWire, SPI, JTAG, and probably using the MSP430. And then also, I guess um, you guys don't even know this yet, Adafruit, but we are working on a class with a woman who was previously at Meow Wolf about creating interactive artworks, and that's going to be using the Circuit Playground and the coding deep dive. And so we're also hiring instructors for all topics that are related to engineering, deep math, or hard science. And if you are interested in being an instructor, you can go to hackaday.io forward slash you, and all the links are there. Or you can just email me, sophie at hackaday.com. That's, That's very exciting. It's super exciting. Can you tell me a little more about how the classes are structured as far as interaction between instructors and students or students with each other? What does it uh, feel like to take a class? Each module or each course is four classes, so four weeks of classes. And the classes are either pre-recorded or they're live but recorded. And then there's a one-hour office hour where students can interact with the instructor, ask questions, and so on. And then if they if students want to interact with each other, we have a chat room on Hackaday.io per class. And mm -hmm. students have been very much interacting with each other. Oh, good. That's yeah. good to hear. That's where the good stuff happens. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> really exciting. You guys have been busy throwing this together. It came together so quickly. It's very impressive. Good. Um, you know, the future of education is it's really changing. Yeah. And I personally really believe hardcore in engineering education and like it being accessible to everybody. And I'm really pretty proud of Supply Frame for just offering to sponsor this whole thing. Um, also really amazed at how many students have come out to learn, which is also really like it feels really nice. That's wonderful. Do you have, are you able to say numbers of the, the types of uh, student numbers or interest that you've seen so far? The reverse engineering with Ghidra was really like, we had at peak about 150 students. Right. And all over the world. KiCad is, um, we, it's Anul Mahadharya, and he is a writer for Hackaday and is located in Mumbai. There's a lot of people in India taking that class because we initially um, advertised it as ISP time, which is a little weird for everybody on Pacific time or US time or Europe yeah. time. Um, and there was a lot of confusion there, but that, that class also at peak has about hundred students. Oh, wow, that's great. 
Yeah, I think if I recall correctly, it was often 12 and a half or 11 and a half hours off from California time to deal with Mumbai when I worked with the studio there. So it can be confusing to people. Yeah, and, and pretty much the majority of my communications with students were about the time zones. Yes. So I guess by the time we get to the fall, we'll have a big, a big countdown thing. <laughs> um, the woman who is teaching the interactive art class with the circuit playground is located in Denmark. So we have a time zone thing there. So international, it's great. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's really, really amazing. Congratulations. Very exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, seeing more about what you guys will be offering. So Thank thanks, for, thanks for coming yeah. on, Sophie. It's good to see you. And uh, yeah. very Can I show something, though? Yeah. I mean, do we have time for me to just yeah. show what I'm I'm working on? Definitely, please. So, um, I'm, I'm working on a PCB that the functionality of it is a microprocessor that it's very simple. It just gives out a controlled frequency and a controlled current at when you um, use a remote control to change it. And so this is, the board is not like really that exciting to look at, but this is the board. But the cool thing about it, the thing I just want to mention quickly on this call is my friend Ted is writing pretty much all of the firmware because it's out of my realm of expertise. But we are using, um, John, is it possible for me to share a screen? Yes, it sure is. Uh, look at the bottom, there's a share screen icon, and then it'll give you some uh, options about if you want to do a monitor or a window. Okay, okay let me do this. I'm going to add that. Can you? OK, awesome. So the thing that I wanted, this is uh, MPLab, and it's for using microchips PIC system. And it's free. I, I think you might have to pay if you use uh, too much memory. But whatever I'm doing, we're not paying for it. And what I think is so, I mean, there's so many things that I think is amazing about the software. Oh, it's interesting. I can't really control it too too well. So I love this here. This is um, my chip. I'm actually on an SOIC and it'll move to a QFN, but you can look at your chip right in front of you so you're not like staring nice. at your chip and counting pins and all of uh -huh. them. That's so nice. <laughs> right? Um, another thing that I think is absolutely fantastic is that you don't have to look up registers. So for example, in, in this particular um, chip, it's got an op-amp or two op-amps and a digital to analog converter. So this and the microprocessor all in one chip. So all these peripherals. And instead of going into, let's say, um, let me pull up the DAC. It's the one I know the most. Instead of going into the data sheet and looking for you know, all of the registers that all, to me, all have pretty much the same name and I can never like remember which one and, counting in binary or counting in hex. And I mean, it's just like a big pain in the butt. This, you can just like enable it here. Um, it gives you all of the registers and the so name. So friendly. So friendly. Um, I'm not looking at the comments right now, but I'm sure someone somewhere is like, that thing is full of bugs and it is full <laughs> of bugs. But I mean, you know, the more we use it, the less bugs it'll have and it's, I, I'm finding this register thing to be extremely, and I'll, I'll probably, I've now moved off of the Arduino platform and I'll probably just continue to use this and hopefully get better at writing firmware. Very cool. 
thank you for showing that very neat project. And I'm sure you've got some uh, interesting, fun uses for that once you have your remote control frequency and current gizmo that you'll tell us about. Hopefully, you'll come back on when you've got more. Yes, when it's it's going to be shrunk down to like one mm -hmm. centimeter by one centimeter. So when it gets to be that small, I'll come back and talk about it. Awesome. Thank you, Sophie. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right. Next up, we have Dylan. Dylan Arada. Hello. How's it going? Hey, how are you? All right. Thanks. What's new? So I have uh, this thing I've been working on for the last uh, week or so. It is a um, equatorial mount uh, astrophotography tracker that uh, uses the Raspberry Pi uh, high quality camera. Um, so it's, it's belt driven and it also has a sort of like a little worm uh, gear back here to, and those both, both of those kind of make it a bit smoother and less jerky. Um, I'm currently uh, running it from a uh, Feather M4 with uh, this little uh, DC motor and uh, stepper shield, but I'm probably going to switch to a, uh, a new one made by uh, Trinamic that uh, the TMC2226. Um, so yeah, this is, it's still very much a work in progress. Um, uh, this is, um, this mount is definitely gonna change. I'm gonna actually have an actual quarter 20 coming out of here uh, to just put like a ball head on uh, because this is really not great because not counterweighted at all. Um, but yeah. That's very cool. So are you going to be uh, using tracking software then or setting arcs and uh, and speeds for it to travel as it takes its photos? Yeah, so essentially what I'm going to do is you, uh, with an equatorial mount, um, you align it with the north, in the northern hemisphere, you align it with the north celestial pole, and then it just kind of rotates um, at one revolution per day. Um, and that's why I've kind of geared it down a bit. I'm going to have to gear it down more, but that's kind of the idea then. Um, so then you just kind of have it rotating like that. And uh, you, you, I've, I'm not very experienced with astrophotography, but I think you do like 30 second exposures and then kind of just like stack them with mm -hmm. software. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really interesting. Oh yeah. That's going to be a neat project. I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing your progress on that. It's very cool. And as someone said in the comments, uh, it's exciting to see uh, some of these high quality raspberry Pi camera projects, uh, uh, starting to crop up. This is a really cool one. Now yeah, you've thanks. got, uh, I know you've got a lot of experience with um, uh, bicycle uh, design and, and building. Does that uh, play into some of, some of how you're approaching the build on this? Um, a little bit. I think uh, that definitely can help me like understand the gears and stuff. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say definitely. Mm -hmm. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for uh, bringing that on, Dylan. And we'll uh, we'll look forward to seeing some of your photos. All right. Thank you very much. Sure thing. Uh, and sorry, someone just mentioned that my mic was very low and I don't know what happened. I thought I had a good level on it, but uh, maybe I just slouched away from it. I'll come back to the mic. Here we go. Uh, okay. And next up, uh, we have Jeff and we're just about out of time. So I'm sorry that we'll probably have to go quickly. So I'm going to bring on your screen because something's All up right. there. Yeah, so I just wanted to show off a little work in progress. Uh, the idea is, what if you could host your own uh, 
files for 3D printing instead of using a site like Thingiverse. And so this is what I've cooked up. It uses Jekyll, it uses 3.js, shows your 3D models, lets you uh, do some downloads. And that's something I'm playing with right now and hope to expand it more in the future and make it useful to someone else. Awesome. Very exciting. Good. We look forward to seeing this and, and hopefully uh, getting to use it. Thank you, Jeff. Sorry All we right. have such short time, but we'll uh, we'll see more soon. Thanks, man. All right. See you around. All right. And uh, that's all, but stay tuned because Ask an Engineer is happening like right now. Bye.